0: Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au Well, I I had a dream, and it began with a heavy dread. I, I, I sensed, I knew, that life as I knew it was about to end. We were being invaded by aliens and we were completely outnumbered and we were outweaponed. A uh, heavy, heavy dread. And then, But then in my dream, a rumor began of a great general who was going to arrive and, and rescue us. And so my dread started to lift. But then I saw the general. And he was unimpressive. <laughs> he wasn't great, mighty, powerful-looking general. And he definitely didn't bring with him a ton of weapons. And my dread started to rise again. And, and I found myself wanting to wake out of my dream and, and wake up. But just as I was, I heard this chorus singing the general's praise louder than anything I've ever heard before. Now, I imagine some of you are thinking, Gee, that sort of sounds an awful lot like Revelation chapter 5 that Lisa just read out for us. And did you have this dream after you started preparing the sermon? Um, Actually, I didn't have the dream at all. I just thought that was a good way to start this sermon. And here's the difference between that fake dream and Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5 is not a dream. It was part of a vision that God gave to the Apostle John, two thousand years ago. If you're not already there, open your Bible to Revelation chapter five. You got got it open, Revelation five. And here's the first thing I want us to notice: uh, it's revelation, no S at the end. So revelation. Uh, often we say, re- "Open your Bible to Revelations." It's No S at the end. Do you see that in your Bible? This revelation. This isn't a bunch of revelations. The last book of the Bible, the last letter of the Bible, is one revelation that God gave to the Apostle John for his church. If you like, revelation is God pulling back the curtain and revealing how the battle between good and evil plays out. And and that's not quite the right way to put it, (laughs) because... there never really has been a battle between good and evil. Sure, evil rises up against God, but evil never stood a chance. God is all-powerful. God is all-wise. God is always in control. So, why is it that sometimes evil rises up? Seems to have the upper hand, even. And that's a great question. And I suspect a major thing, not I suspect, this is a major theme of the Bible answering that question. How come there is evil in the world? In the beginning, God created. There's the first five words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. God is the creator of everything, and everything else is creation. God made the universe, and God made humanity special. God made us for a loving relationship with Him. That was the first period of time, and it's covered by only the first two chapters of the Bible. And then we come to the next period of history, the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God. It's Genesis chapter 3. This era is marked with sin and evil and broken relationships between creation and our Creator. And at that point, God would have been completely just. It would have been right for God to eternally punish us, to wipe us out, to start all over again. But God didn't. God immediately put into play... His rescue plan. And the Old Testament begins bit by bit, shadow by shadow, to reveal God's rescue plan. And what becomes abundantly clear through the Old Testament is that God's rescue plan centers on an all-powerful king. And by all-powerful, we mean all-powerful. His enemies do not stand a chance. He will right all wrongs. His kingdom will last forever. And this all-powerful king is going to bring in a new era where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more evil. And yes, that king is Jesus. So, Why hasn't there been an end to suffering and pain and evil? Because God is patient. God has more people to rescue. We're currently living in this overlap of the ages. With the first coming of Jesus, he brought in the new age, he began the new age, and with his second coming, he's going to complete the new age. Now, all of that has been by introduction to the sermon for this week. Uh, all of Morning Church agreed with me. That, that's your longest intro, Steve. That was just introduction for our sermon this week. We're, we're in this series, uh, Church Enjoying God's Masterpiece. And, and this week, we're looking at uh, church through the lens of God's kingdom. Uh, to grasp the significance of God's kingdom, we needed the reminder of our plight Humanity is desperate. We need rescuing. We we need a king to come. And Jesus is that king who rescues. But he's a king like no other. Yes, he is mighty like a lion. And he is tender like a lamb. And so here's how the sermon's going to roll out tonight. Uh, Firstly, we're going to look at Revelation 5 and see the king revealed. And then we're going to consider Jesus' upside-down kingdom. And then we're going to consider the implications by returning to four C's that we sort of started with last week. Courage and compassion versus cowardice and... I changed the last one, didn't I? It's not cranky anymore, it's conceit. Uh, uh, Stay tuned to see why it's not cranky in its conceit. Um, So that's where we're headed. Uh, The King revealed, upside down kingdom, courage and compassion versus cowardice and conceit. And so firstly, the King revealed. Let's read Revelation 5. It's a favourite part of the Bible for many Christians. I hope after today it's a favourite part for all of us. Revelation 5, you got it open? Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written, and within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, this isn't a sermon series on Revelation. Revelation is one of those parts of the Bible that use a different genre. All the high school students, you you enjoy genre talk, don't you? Uh, The genre is apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Uh, Symbols are quite often used. John actually had a vision from God 2,000 years ago. And it was a vision that that was full of symbols and numbers and beasts and scrolls and seals. And so John saw, seated on the throne, uh, someone with a scroll that was sealed. And he saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice... Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. This was devastating because the scroll represents God's plan to rescue his people. And if it could not be opened, not only would we not know God's plan, God's plan wouldn't be executed. And so no one was found worthy to open the scroll. John cried loudly. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold... The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. As though it had been slaughtered. The word literally means brutally butchered. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Uh, Thing to remember there, that's a lot of symbols. Seven, the whole perfect number in ancient apocalyptic literature. Seven and perfect eyes. This was the powerful slaughtered lamb. He can see everything. He's wandering through the whole earth. He is in control. The seven horns, his power. And he went... For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language, people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. No wonder this is a favorite chapter in the Bible for so many Christians. What a glorious image. For centuries, God had promised his almighty, righteous, forever king. And so God's people rightly anticipated a mighty, mighty king. The lion. But what no one anticipated, even though Isaiah repeatedly talked about a suffering servant, what no one anticipated was a slaughtered lamb. Jesus rescued God's people by laying down his life. Jesus, the great king, is the great servant. Jesus, he's mighty and tender. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. And Jesus well, he's worthy of all the universe singing his praise. At the cross, at that depraved, horrible, torturous cross, God revealed his king. The king who is the lion, the king who is the lamb. Brother, sister, I, I urge you, to prayerfully wrestle with this and by wrestle I mean meditate like get to know what almost seems impossible to know I don't know that we can get to the heart of our faith if we don't wrap our arms around the might and the meekness of our king he's mighty and meek He's tough and tender. And this is why our second heading is the upside down kingdom. God has revealed his king. And at first he's talked about as the lion. But when he appears, he's this slaughtered lamb. He's mighty. And he's meek. And he's our king. That's just upside down, isn't it? Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Amen? All right. In Revelation chapter 1, if this was a series on Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is presented as this image of his eyes, or his flames are jutting out. His mouth has a double edged sword coming out. When he speaks, it is as if all the waters of the earth are rumbling. And his face, you couldn't gaze into it because the full force of the sun shines forth. That's Revelation 1. Go home and read it. And then that same image of Jesus is in Revelation chapter 19. The sword, the eyes, the face. And he's on a horse. And he's leading an army. He's leading God's army to trample all of God's enemies. On his robe and on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus has a might we we cannot comprehend. Friends, there is a day coming when this age ends and the eternal age begins. And on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And many will do that with um, great remorse. The deepest longing that they would have said it before he came back. But nonetheless... everyone will see the might of Jesus. Jesus wields more might than we can comprehend. And at the same time, Jesus is more tender than we can comprehend. And it's the combination of Jesus' power and Jesus' tenderness that makes him worthy of the worship of the entire universe. Because if, we, if he, Jesus didn't have all might, how could we trust him to end evil? And if Jesus didn't have all tenderness, how could any of us approach him with our failings? Jesus is king, and his kingdom, it is an upside-down kingdom. I remember when I first heard this, it just stunned me. And yet, it's in the Bible everywhere. We will worship forever. In eternity, we will sing forever, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. footy spectator goes to the grand final to watch their team and goes you beauty we lost worthy is the lamb forever will be singing, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered consider that our mighty king who is king of kings power beyond comprehension is also the Lamb who was slaughtered. Jesus is both. This is mind-blowing. We, we naturally want to separate them out. It's like one day we're happy to worship Jesus in all his might, and another day, yeah, Jesus and all his tenderness. Not both. Together. This is why I'm encouraging us to meditate. In glory... It'll be as natural as breathing to worship the lion who is the slaughtered lamb. Now it just seems upside down, but Jesus is the lion who is the lamb. He's tough and tender. He's mighty and meek. He is strong and sublime. Jesus is like no other king. And one day we are going to join in those myriads and myriads of angels and we are going to sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. I can't wait. Now today it still sounds a bit upside down. We don't quite get how might and meekness go together, but on that day, we're just going to know it is right side up. Jesus, the lion who is the slaughtered lamb. Church, that is our king. As we think about church enjoying God's masterpiece, look at our king. Oh, is He mighty. He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. And He is the one who gladly laid His life down to rescue us. That's who we are. That's our King and we're His people. And so how does that revelation, God God has revealed His King who has this upside-down kingdom, how does that help us today? And this is where we move to our final point, courage and compassion versus cowardice and conceit. We touched on these four C's last week, and I wanted to bring them in again this week. Uh, Last week, God reminded us that we are elect exiles. When God saved you, he began a radical supernatural transformation. And one of the lenses the Bible gives us for understanding that transformation is exile. We are exiles. Uh, Today we might say we are elect migrants. We are people who are birthed in one country, but living in another country. And so when God saved you, if you're a Christian, when God saved you, you have been born again. And your home country is the kingdom of God. That's your birth home. But at the moment, we're elect exiles. We're living here on earth and God has planted us here. And so last week we were reminded that we've got one foot in each kingdom, don't we? We're in the kingdom of God. God has saved us. We've been birthed into that kingdom. But we're living here on earth. One foot in each Now, one way Christians have understood this dual dynamic is that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. Yeah, we're living here and now, but we're not of this world. We're migrants, we're exiles, we're pilgrims. And here's the thing. We must get this. God expects us to do both. We're in this world, and not of this world, but God expects us to be in this world. We're not to hive off into a little Christian huddle and and keep away from that evil world that's out there. No, no, God says be in the world. You're an exile. Live within this world. And so go to school. Go to work. Get involved in a sport team. Get involved in your hobbies. Get to know your neighbor and do all of our in-the-world stuff as people who are not of the world. You see, we have a king who is holy, and he calls us to be holy as he is holy. And so, yeah, you, you'll, you'll watch a, a ton of shows with your mates, but there are some that you just wouldn't watch. And yep, sure, there's parties that you will go to, we will go to, but there's some that we just won't get involved with. And yes, we'll respect our friend who is sleeping with their partner and same sex or opposite sex, because they're made in the image of God, we respect them as a human being, but we're not of the world like they are so we don't participate in that we know that sex is for marriage and marriage is between one man and one woman in a lifelong relationship and so we're in the world but not of the world and we 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 watch the world and we see them hoarding money and spending money on self and we go no no no. our king he gave everything to rescue us and so we will use what we have to build God's kingdom we have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. We're pilgrims. Which means we should stand out. And so there's two questions that immediately come to mind, isn't it? Will we stand out? And how will we stand out? Will we stand out? How will we stand out? Will we stand out? There's the courage. How will we stand out? There's the compassion. Will we stand out? It takes courage to stand out as a Christian, doesn't it? It takes courage in lots and lots of little ways to be an elect pilgrim. We want to honour our king. And so, you know, if you you don't go to the party, or if you do go to the party but you don't get drunk and you don't do drugs, you know that you're going to be seen as the, the boring one, the party pooper. Oh, the self-righteous one, the one who thinks you're better than all of your mates. The one who misses out on all the Monday morning conversations. Oh, you remember that party, man? It was so cool. You remember how so-and-so got plastered? It's not so exciting. It takes courage to share what you think about sex and marriage and abortion. Distributing... Puberty blocking drugs to children. Uh, The big chat at the moment in the last year or so is surrogacy and children's rights. It it takes courage to stand out with Christian values. And the sexual revolution has really come a long way. Um, Here's an embarrassing story. I was born in the 60s. Apparently, the 60s is known as the beginning of the sexual revolution. Good on your mum and dad. uh, but boy, oh boy, in my lifetime has it come a long way. I suspect there are Christians who would actually think there's probably something wrong with someone who holds on to their virginity until they're married. I mean, I know when I was at youth group, we would talk about things like, what it is to be sexually pure before you're married and all of that sort of thing. And I think today we're even embarrassed to talk about it because we're just sort of going, yeah, yeah, sexual revolution has brought us so far. That's archaic. I've heard some chatter. It's probably more in the American church scene than our church scene, but they're actually anti the purity culture. And in some ways, I get it. There is no one in this room, including myself, that is sexually pure. I mean, Jesus says to even look at someone with lust is to commit adultery with them. So, okay, we've all failed. And I get the fact that we can beat each other up on this topic sometimes. And and yes, there always has been Pharisaism and legalism. But if we, as God's kingdom, are not going to stand out in the sexual uh, revolution for our purity and modesty, what are we going to stand out for? It takes courage to be a weekly attender at church and at Point Group and at Pointy J. I mean, look at all the things competing. Family, extended family visiting, birthday parties, work and study. It takes courage to say, I gather with God's people. It's tempting to not just be in the world, but to also be of the world. To have both feet in the world, to assimilate. But it not only takes courage, it takes compassion. You see, it's tempting to look at the world and forget, There, but for the grace of God, go I. I've shared this with you before Um, I go back to uni partly because um, it's hard to believe but with most of my workmates I don't get picked on for being a Christian (laughs) Uh, I remember being called out by a uni lecturer uh, for being a Christian and and he mocked me he said "Oh, you'll lose your mind by the end of my course and to which I replied well maybe you've already lost your mind because you're blinded by evolution yeah. I, I justified my response at the time. I I even felt proud for standing up. But the reality is that wasn't courage. That, that was just me being a jerk. Because courage would have been inviting him for a coffee afterwards and saying, Can you help me understand your worldview? Why is it that you think science and faith are not compatible? Courage and compassion because there but for the grace of God go I and this is why I changed the final C uh, last week it was uh, cranky and I, I guess I was thinking I was a cranky young man uh, maybe my family says I'm a cranky old man now but where does our Christian crankiness come from I was thinking, you know, some of those Christians that love to carry placards around and they're all angry. And it's almost as if they delight in telling people that they're going to hell. Where does that come from? How could you ever delight in telling someone they're going to hell? Well, it comes from self-righteousness. It comes from a a conceit, a place of being conceited. You see, I had to go from crankiness to get underneath the crankiness to see our self-righteousness is causing us to sometimes be cranky. But self-righteousness doesn't start with a C, doesn't it? So we got conceit. As pilgrims, we have one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in this world. And if we only come across as cranky and conceited, we are bad pilgrims. I've used the phrase a few times tonight, uh, there but for the grace of God go I. Uh, Christians used to use it a lot. We used to talk to each other, we used to say it. We used to look at other people's sin. uh, We used to look at the mess that other people would get them into and we would realize there. But for God's grace in my life, that could be me. When we truly grasp how utterly dependent on God's grace we are, we will extend grace. Let's, uh, Let's finish where we began. Revelation 5 the Apostle John was devastated. Have you ever been so devastated that you cried so loud? You you weren't caring about whoever was around you. Like, I've never been there. John cried loudly because there was no one to open the scroll. There was no one to reveal God's rescue plan and execute. God's rescue plan. John was devastated because he realized there was no one to come forward and rescue him and rescue us from sin. But then an elder came and tapped him on the shoulder. It's okay. Here comes the lion of Judah, and he is worthy. He not only has revealed, he has executed God's plan to rescue, for he has been slaughtered for the sins of the world. Brother, sister, did Jesus annihilate? Sin and death. There's our courage. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords and he is one. He is our courage. Did any of us deserve that rescue? Categorically no. Absolutely not. But he gladly laid his life down to be slaughtered. There is our compassion. He is our compassion. Would, you, would, would you, I was about to say you, would we look and see and get to know and walk with jesus and as we do our lack of courage and conceitedness will melt away but even better even better as we look to jesus our courage and compassion will grow let's pray oh father your gospel is the best news in the whole world. Your son is our king. You sent him and he gladly came. You did this for our rescue. Would, oh, would we humble ourselves at the foot of your cross? Would we see the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords and who is tender as a lamb? And would we worship Oh, Father, keep, keep breaking us, keep melting us, keep humbling us so that we would be your kingdom of priests in this world. Help us to live in the world yet not be of the world. And Father, we pray this for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au